0: You know, we've covered a lot of ground so far in our exploration through the book of Acts. uh, And we've witnessed a lot of really dramatic events happening to some of the biggest names in the New Testament, beginning uh, with the day of ascension when we're told in Acts 113 uh, that those present with the Lord were Peter and John, uh, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of James, and how they had gone from there, and then down in verse 14, how they'd all joined together along with the women, and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, and so what we've got is the who's who of the early days of our faith, right? But the name that we're going to be looking at today belongs to a man who stands head and shoulders above all of them, uh, second only to the person of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and that man is... Uh, The Apostle Paul. Paul the Apostle, who, as you're about to see, becomes the dominant figure for uh, most of the rest of the book of Acts and for this sermon series. And whose moniker eventually appears on 13 books of the New Testament. uh, That have come to really shape our understanding of the nature and the scope of the gospel message in all of its dimensions. Uh, But he's not there just yet, as we start out this morning. For the moment, uh, he's still only ordinary Saul of Tarsus, Roman citizen, uh, pharisaical scholar, uh, and importantly for him, himself, self, um, hater of all things Christian. And so we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read the first 19 verses to you. So Acts chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 9, rather, beginning in verse 1. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but arise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus, a man named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street that is called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he arose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. And Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much. Uh, For all of those names that we've touched upon as we began our study in acts But we thank you especially today for your servant paul Uh, We ask you lord for hearts and minds that would be open to you as his was We ask you father that you would teach us by your holy spirit And fill us in these next few moments with everything you'd have us to learn because we ask it in jesus name amen you know every uh, conversion to christ is a miracle every transformation of a hard Human heart from hell bent and prideful sinner into regenerate and humble saint uh, is a supernatural experience. And every single time that a believer's name is added to the kingdom of heaven uh, is a resurrection on the order of Lazarus rising from the grave because its accomplishment demanded nothing less than the incarnation of the Son of God and his expiatory death at the cross. A death applied to the life of a rebellious man or woman according to the electing grace of the Father through the miraculous application of the Holy Spirit. And it signifies really a a radical 180 degree transformation of our fallen human nature. You know, that applies across the board. And to every son or daughter of God who have gone through that extraordinary exchange. Uh, For some it happens at a really young age. There's some of you sitting out here listening you so young it happened you can't ever remember not being a believer Uh, for others uh, it happened later in life uh, perhaps in middle age and you can recall the exact date and time of your conversion like it happened yesterday Uh, for some of course it happened much later in life and there are others still that are in a class all by themselves which would definitely include the apostle paul Uh, Because when you think about it, there's no other conversion experience in Scripture uh, that's dealt with in such detail and at such length. Because Luke, in writing his book of Acts, relates it actually three different times to us. The first, of course, is in chapter 9 that I just read to you. Uh, But we'll also see it come up again in Acts chapter 22, verses 6 to 16, when Paul is giving his testimony to the Jewish leaders. And then finally, in chapter 26... In verses 9 to 18 in his address to some Roman authorities so we have these three accounts of the conversion of this Christ hating Saul of Tarsus into the rebranded Paul the Apostle uh, the man who would become the great herald of the saving grace of God uh, the chief interpreter of the redemptive significance of the work of Christ and most importantly a very proficient missionary to the Gentiles which we are all grateful for right as Gentiles And one commentator said of this, here is the terrible persecutor of the church convinced of his sin and led to repentance and saving faith in the one he's persecuting. He says, here's the one who sought to destroy the church now being directly called by Christ to be the great apostle to the Gentiles. To which another theologian added to that thought, saying the conversion and apostleship of St. Paul alone duly considered was of itself a demonstration sufficient to prove Christianity to be a divine revelation. In other words, all of those fancy words to say the Christian gospel comes from God and not from man, right? God takes the responsibility for our salvation. And just like we saw last week with the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, God arranges our circumstances so that we can know him personally, Now, admittedly, we we rarely see that in advance. But I think if each of us were to to think back, uh, many, if not most of you, would agree with me that that looking back, we can see very clearly how the hand of God was graciously drawing us to himself. Uh, and, And making it crystal clear that conversion is not a cooperative venture between God and man. Because, brothers and sisters, even the ability to believe in Christ is a gift of God. And so all the glory goes to him and not to us. And we could actually spend, uh, we could spend all the rest of the afternoon exploring that aspect of redemption. And I, I know that there's that folks that like to debate over the idea of how much of salvation has to do uh, with us and how much has to do with the sovereignty of God. But the truth is, uh, church, that that verdict is in. And my salvation has zero to do with me and everything to do with him. In case you don't believe me, you don't have to take my word for it. Coming up on the screen here, I put together just a little sampling, a partial list of scriptures that affirm what I'm talking about. It's going to come up here in a second. Uh, the idea of God's sovereign grace and his election in salvation. And this just a, that's just a partial list. I don't even know how many are on there. I could have made about ten more slides that have that many examples. Now, admittedly, these truths are hard for the human mind to embrace. But church scripture is unequivocal. And Paul himself would go on to write about this in detail later in his letter to the Galatians Uh, that he addressed. He starts out saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. He says to the churches in Galatia, for I would have, you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Talk about a radical change. So radical that it changed him all the way down to the level of his name so that when we get uh, into Acts chapter 13 from verse 9 on, Saul is always referred to in Scripture as Paul. But then you have to think, you know, what's in a name? Same question that uh, Juliet asks out loud in the scene 2 of Shakespeare's most famous plays. Uh, And then almost without taking a breath, she answers herself by saying, uh, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And, and that, that may be true and it makes good poetry, but on the other hand, the name is how you introduce yourself to other people, right? It's how other people identify you. I mean, parents agonize and sometimes uh, argue over the names for their children. Right? Some of you guys are named for famous people or for beloved members of your family, right? Some of you guys go by a nickname, uh, one that somebody hung on you for one reason or another, or maybe just because you don't really care for your first name, which I, I don't. Um, some of you have special names you call members of your family, and I don't mean the four-letter kind. But, but names that are terms of endearment, and that express love and affection. So names are special, and they should be. And if names are important and special in our culture, they were even more so in biblical culture, where names were filled with meaning Uh, and was more than an identifier. It was a way to truly understand someone's reputation or their character uh, or even their place in God's plan. You remember, for instance, the name Adam means earth or from the dust. Abraham means father of many nations. Uh, Isaac means laughter. And so for Saul of Tarsus to go from using his Hebrew first name Saul to using his Gentile middle name Paul was just as emblematic as all of those things. One author said it's uh, it's possible that Paul gave up the use of his Hebrew name Saul with its regal connotations and connections to Israel's first king and chose to use his Roman name Paul meaning little or small because he desired to become smaller in order to present Christ as greater. Using his Gentile name would also allow Paul to approach the Gentile nation so he could speak to people in a more natural way. Identifying with them and setting them at ease with this new doctrine that was sweeping the Middle East like wildfire from the initial spark on the day of Pentecost. Uh, And that movement hadn't exactly settled on a name either, had it? And you you may or may not know this, but there was a time uh, when the followers of Jesus were known as something other than Christians. And if you were following along real carefully in our primary text for today, we actually read it. We read, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to what? The way. The way. Any belonging to the way. Men or women, you might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the first actual followers of Christ were simply known as people of The way no doubt in reference to what Jesus had said of himself in John 14, 6, uh, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So from the beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost, uh, the disciples and the followers of Jesus simply referred to themselves as people of the way. And it stayed that way uh, till we get all the way down to the story of the early church in Acts chapter 11, which tells us it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Where did they get that name from? Like did, did they have like a the church at Antioch have a special congregational meeting after worship one Sunday and decide to start calling themselves Christians? No. Most commentators actually agree that the name Christian was not a name the followers of Jesus gave to themselves. Uh, it was actually an insult. It was originally derogatory and something that was tagged on followers of Christ by non-believers uh, that originally was a, a name of ridicule and, der- and derision. Because when unbelievers first called the followers of Christ Christian, they were mockingly saying, you people are acting like a bunch of little Christs. You, you think like Christ, and you, you act like you're Christ, and, and you live like you're Christ. Well, you're nothing but a bunch of little Christians. Now, of course, we know the Christ part refers to Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the I A N suffix on the end means belonging to or, or coming from or to be like. So the, the name Christian means belonging to Christ or to be like Christ. And in time, that new name caught on and was adopted by Jesus' followers and it took on a whole new meaning. And, brothers and sisters, a meaning that you and I need to fully embrace if we want to go around using it because it is the most significant name in the universe. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Therefore God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him a name that's above all other names, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And brothers and sisters, you and I wear that name that's above all names. Uh, And one day every knee will bow to that name. And let me tell you something, folks, that's not going to happen in the name of Muhammad. And it's never going to happen in the name of Joseph Smith. And it's not going to happen in the name of Buddha or Confucius or any other religious leader that's ever been born. But it will happen at the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, One day the tongue of every atheist, uh, every agnostic, every... Hollywood actor and actress who now mock Jesus and ridicule our Jesus and curse the name of Jesus and take his holy name in vain will humbly confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords to the glory of God the father. And because we know that that's true, it means that you and I should never be embarrassed or ashamed to claim that precious name because one day it's going to be honored throughout the universe. There's a couple of really practical things And ways that you and I can honor the dignity of that name right now, uh, of our Lord and of the name Christian. And firstly, we can do it by upholding the honor of the Christian name by confessing the name of Christ before men. Just very simply not being ashamed before anyone that will listen. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. You guys know Dr. David Jeremiah, right? I know Miss Beverly knows Dr. David Jeremiah. Uh, He said, don't ever pass up an opportunity to put in a good word for Jesus. I love that. And so let's not be ashamed or embarrassed or or hesitated to mention the precious name of Jesus, no matter uh, who we're with, Uh, whether it's our non-Christian loved ones or our friends or people at work our neighbors in the park, or even total strangers in a restaurant when we thank God for our food before we eat. Right? And, and kind of tying in to that thought, we uphold the honor of the Christian name by carefully guarding our Christian witness. That's why Colossians 4 says, uh, admonishes us really to be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, meaning those outside the kingdom of God. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. 1 Thessalonians tells us, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. Working with your hands just as we instructed you before. And then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you won't be dependent on others. We've talked before about this a lot in Bible study. About how our lives when we're outside the four walls of this church building speak volumes to those who are outside of Christ. And we have to understand and remember that this name Christian we wear is held to a higher standard of scrutiny than other names you could be associated with. If people know you're a Christian, they're watching you, whether you realize it or not. They're watching your lifestyle. They're watching your habits. They're watching your work ethic. They're watching the entertainments that you enjoy. And they're listening to the words that come out of your mouth. And they're observing your attitudes. And they're watching how you treat other people. And they're looking to see if you're a person that holds grudges or if you make the first effort at peace. And they're noticing how you respond to adversity, and this is so important, whether you do it with fear or with faith. Now, now don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect at all those things every time, Um, least of all me. Just ask my family. They have to live with me. But every day we need to be on our knees before God asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in those areas. To help us grow in the fruits of the Spirit, right? That love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Because God wants to develop those things in us just like Saul of Tarsus. Because right, we didn't start out any better than he did, did we? There was a time... Uh, There was a moment uh, when some very different names could have described us. Perhaps there are some hearing this message today for which that's still true and you need a change. Uh, You need a miracle. You need the kind of miracle that can transform your name from hell-bent and prideful sinner into regenerate and humble saint. Just as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral And then to you, I say this morning, not from myself, but from the spirit of God, repent today and believe the gospel. Don't let your name like Saul become a byword for rebel and hater of Christ. And to you, my brothers and sisters who have been washed, uh, to you that have been changed, quit walking around with those old names. Quit hearing the enemy call you sinner. Quit hearing the enemy call you Unloved. But letting the enemy call you outside the kingdom and recognize that you are a son or a daughter of the king of kings. And he is the one that gets to name you now. And for you, he names you saved. He names you forgiven. He names you friend. And even better, he writes your name into the Lamb's book of life and marks you down for glory. For his glory that we'll share because of the name of the son he loves, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much that we can know that we have a new name that's written down in glory. We thank you, Lord, that you were willingly sent your son, that we might have redemption through him. And Father, we ask at the same time that if there's even one among us that doesn't know uh, that they know that they are in a right position with you, that you'd surprise them by the power of your presence. That you would open their minds and their eyes and their ears, and you would draw them to yourself, Lord, because you promised that your sheep will hear your voice and that they'll respond. And so we trust in you, Lord, for all that you'll do through this message. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.